0: Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, good morning, Soul City Church. How are you doing this morning? Good to see you. Y'all are a lively bunch today, ready to go. Let's go. It is so good to be with you. My name is Jarrett, I'm one of the lead pastors here, and I I just love when we get to gather like this, whether it's in person or whether you're online with us. And again, as as Allie and Kelly just said, if you're with us online, worshiping with us, let us know where you're at actually, because we have people literally from all over the world who are connected to the work that God is doing through this church. That's pretty cool. So shout out where you're at online. And uh, for those of you who are here in the room, you look lovely, you look fantastic. The humidity has not gotten to you yet, so you're doing great. You're doing great. Today we're kicking off a brand new series, as Allison and Kelly mentioned, called Hot Takes. We're going to be looking at the difficult and the demanding and I believe the downright transformative teachings of Jesus. But these are things that he said that no one really wants to hear and even less folks want to do. But we're gonna dive into them and we're gonna see what might happen in our lives if we actually took Jesus up on what he taught. Y'all know what a hot take is, right? A hot take is, like typically what a real hot take, like Kelly's was not a hot take a second ago. She basically said Chicago in summer is awesome. That's not a hot take. That's a given. That's like an established truth. A hot take is a controversial position on what is maybe an established truth. So let me give you a couple hot takes. And here's what I want you to do. If you agree with my hot take, cheer. If you disagree, boo. I can handle it. I've been up here for a minute, okay? So here's like a hot take. Here's what I'd say. I'd say winters in Chicago aren't long enough. I think we actually need more. If you agree, cheer. (laughs) They're not, okay, 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 okay. You don't have to boo that much. All right, uh, another hot take. I think hot dogs taste better with ketchup on them. That's just a thing. Ketchup's not. it's not just a child's condiment. It's an actual thing for adults too. All right, uh, here's another hot take. Let's see if we got this one. Uh, pound for pound, play for play. Scottie Pippen is a better player than Michael Jordan. I just feel like that's a... No, facts is facts. He thinks so? He thinks so. All right, all right. So you get the idea of a hot take. Last one, last one, and everyone can cheer for this one. The longer I preach, the better the message gets. And I think that we can all cheer for that one. Tell John that one. That is true. So buckle up, because we're actually, we're going to go in this week, we're diving into what is one of the most overlooked, and I would actually contend, one of the most ignored teachings of Jesus. Something that he was very clear and very consistent about, and yet it's something that Most people could actually care less about and and surprisingly, especially those who call themselves his followers. Today we're gonna be looking at our enemies. We're gonna be yeah, that's right. So we were going in. We're gonna be looking at our enemies. It's all the people that we can't stand, all the folks that did you dirty, all the folks that you I hope listen, I hope you brought your enemies list because you know you got one. I hope you brought your enemies list because we're gonna be diving into this today. I got one, you got one, we all have them. And what we're gonna look at today, what's so important is not just that we have them, but what we do with them that matters most. So why don't we just dive right into it, and just get right into it today. When it comes to your enemies, when it comes to the people, and I'm gonna use a word that you might not even use, the people you hate, even though you'd never use that word in church, Jesus has a very simple and a very clear hot take. You ready? Here it is, don't miss this. You simply cannot love God and hate people, period. You simply cannot love God and hate people. It doesn't work that way. If you say you love God and you also hate people, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. You cannot love God. You cannot read your Bible. You cannot sing all the songs we just sang, take communion like we did, join a group, serve, do all the things and still hold hatred in your heart for others, can't do it, can't love God and hate people. Now, listen, I know some of y'all are like professional Christians. You've been at this for a minute now, okay? So you're saying, nice try, Jesus, but I don't hate anyone. I'm a good person. I'm a Christian. I don't have time to hate. You can save all that drama for your mama, Jesus. That's not me. I'm not that kind of person. Okay, okay. But let me just give you the simplest definition of the word hate. Basically, the simplest definition of the word hate is to feel intense or passionate dislike for someone or something. So you don't hate anything or anyone? To feel passionate dislike or intense dislike for anyone or anything? You don't feel that way towards anybody in your life right now? You don't feel that kind of way towards any political party right now? Or towards any president right now, present or past? or any politician right now, you don't have intense kind of hate, specific kind of like dislike for them, or maybe someone in your family, you tell me you don't have that kind of feeling for anyone in your family. You don't have that kind of feeling for an ex. You don't have that kind of feeling for the company that lets you go. You don't have that kind of feeling when you see people my age on TikTok. Come on, we all got people. Come on, we all, you, you, you hate to see it, but you can't look away. You all know, we, we, all, we all got people that make our list. And again, and again, I just want to be really clear who I'm preaching to the choir here, but it's those people, especially those people who call themselves Christians, who are not only not any better, but oftentimes far worse at this stuff. Whether it's attacking, publicly attacking politicians or political parties from pulpits like this, whether it's heaping hate on Hollywood or, or making marginalized groups, the main problem with our society or to boycotting billion dollar companies like that's really going to make a difference. I remember when I was a kid, the church that I grew up in, it's a great church I grew up in, but I remember this memory came back to me of the church passing around a petition for all of us to sign against Disney, We were going to take a stand against Disney, and that included all Disney movies, and that included Disneyland, and I grew up in California, so Disneyland mattered to me, and everyone was signing this petition, and I was thinking back on that as I was writing this, and I thought, why did we do that? What was going on then? And so I tried to Google churches protest Disney, and I found dozens and dozens and dozens, far too many throughout the years of churches specifically attacking Disney, Christians have made it their mission to oust the mouse for years and to no avail. Sadly, you, you, you may not always know what, what Christians are for, but oftentimes you know exactly who they're against, which is why I think the author Anne Lamott said it so well when she said that you, you can tell that you've made God in your own image when it turns out that that God hates all the same people you do. That's how you know you've made God in your image. When that God hates all the same, has those intense, passionate feelings of dislike for all the same people that you do. See, without even, without even realizing it, we exhaust endless amounts of energy establishing people as our enemies, adding them to the list, updating the list, all the while thinking that this gives us some kind of power, I don't know, like it gives us some kind of power over them, like some sort of self-induced superiority over them. But the reality is all that it ever actually does is keep you stuck in a cycle of your own making, missing out all the while on the fullness and the freedom that Jesus actually offers you, a fullness and a freedom that you'll fail to experience as long as you keep making people your enemy. So how do we do it? How do we, how do we love God and eliminate our enemies? How do we actually do that? Well, not surprisingly, Jesus has something to say about that, a way of actually loving those we'd rather hate, how to actually do that, and we can actually begin to do that today. So I want you to grab a Bible, and I want you to open to Matthew chapter 5. Go ahead and grab a Bible. If you're here in this room, you should see under your seat a Bible right here. You can turn to page 787 in the Soul City Bible. That will get you to Matthew 5. If you're with us online or you got it on your phone, just open to Matthew chapter 5, Uh, This is where we're going to jump in today in this text, is actually sort of right in the middle of the beginning of the greatest sermon of all time, period. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus is just dropping hot take after hot take after hot take, expanding the ways that we actually see God and ourselves and others. And while at the time, all of this seemed like new theology or Jesus was giving us a new take on God, it's actually just Jesus revealing and reminding us of the fullness of God's heart and the fulfillment of God's law. So Jesus is on, and we get to in Matthew 5, he's on an absolute tear by the time we get to where we're gonna dive in, which is verse 43. So let's actually look at what the text says together. This is what Jesus said. He said, uh, verse 43, you have heard it said that You should love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and what? And say it again and pray pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. This is today's hot take. Jesus is using a rabbinical style here that he employs, which he uses at several times throughout the Sermon on the Mount and outside of this particular message of compare, contrast, and correct. Correct compare, contrast, and correct. It's where he takes a commonly held belief that has its roots most likely in scripture, but has been buried under unnecessary tradition and additions to its original intent. And so that's why Jesus said, you have heard it said, but I say. What he's actually doing there is he's pulling from Leviticus 19.18, which is where we get the idea of loving our neighbors. It's actually a verse in Leviticus 19 that came hundreds of years before Jesus. God instructed us to love our neighbors as ourselves. But what you might not be surprised to find is that in that Leviticus 19:18, it doesn't say anything about hating your enemies. In fact, there's not any verse, anytime, anywhere in the Bible, where God instructs you to hate your enemies. That addition was most likely added by a religious group known as the zealots who took kind of this text very, very, very seriously, a little too seriously. And that was the extreme version of what it meant to love your neighbor. To love your neighbor meant to hate anyone that would want to hurt them or harm them. And so you can imagine Israel, Israel had a very long enemies list throughout the years. And so they had that idea, yeah, to love my neighbor, to care for my family, to care for my community means I hate anyone that would want to hurt them. And in this particular moment where Jesus is teaching, there's a very real enemy because they were under Roman occupation at the time. Rome was actually the power in charge at that time. Rome was, for all intents and purposes, their enemy. So this hot take from Jesus meant something. It had immediate Context. It meant something personal to them. It meant something visceral to them. In other words, Jesus is basically saying to them, you, you, you know those people who hurt you, those people who mistreat you, those people who devalue you, the ones who actually could care less about you? Yeah, I want you to love them. I actually want you to love them. Love them like you love your family, like you love your neighbor, like you love your community. I want you to want God's best for them. I want you to love them like God actually loves them. And when you pray, I want you to add them to that list. So right after you pray for your kids and your auntie who's sick and for that new job you want, you pray for them. I want you to get them out of your head by putting them into God's hands. Right. Amen. See, this ain't just some love your neighbor as yourself kind of stuff. This is love your enemy as yourself. And what Jesus is saying here in just these couple verses is basically this. You bless your enemies when you want God's best for your enemies. That's not what I always want for my enemies. I want revenge. I want them to pay. I want them to see what they did was wrong. I want them to see things my way. But Jesus is saying, no, you bless your enemies when you pray for, when you want God's best for their lives. This is the very definition of a hot take. It totally goes against everything we want to do, right? Everything that we're actually taught to do. And in case you were maybe thinking that Jesus is just kind of on one with this teaching, and that this is sort of just some kind of like one-off that Jesus is doing here, can I just remind you that this isn't the only space and place where Jesus said this. In fact, in Luke 6, Jesus actually says it again. Jesus says to love your enemies. Look at this. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. This wasn't just a one-off for Jesus. This was what he taught consistently, and it's not just what he taught. It's what he did because what we see in the final moments of Jesus' earthly life when he is literally nailed to the cross and he's looking out at those who did it to him he's looking out at the Roman officials he's looking out at the religious leaders what does he do in those final moments of his life he prays for them father forgive them they don't even know what they're doing This isn't just what he taught, it's what he did. And because he did it for us, God has actually done something for you and me. This is why we do it. Because Romans 5 tells us that while you and I were still God's enemies, we were reconciled into relationship with him through that very death of his son, Jesus. And if we've been reconciled through his death, how much more will we be reconciled through his life? That's why we do it, because God has done it for you. He's done it for me how often, how quickly I forget that I was once God's enemy and at times have chosen to be an enemy of God, that I've forgotten and I've forsaken him and I've failed him more times than I'd want to count. And yet he never once added me to his enemies list. Not once. Even when I act like God's enemy, he loves me and he makes a way for me to come back into relationship with him through the very Jesus whose words we were just studying. Jesus is that way. He is that truth. He is that life. He did it for me, and he invites me to do it for my enemies. He did it for you, and he invites you to do it for your enemies. This is life-changing stuff, y'all. And when you think about our world today and how divided we are, how short everyone's fuses. have you noticed that? We are just so quick to jump on each other and to make people our enemies, to put each other on blast. Can you imagine if you actually practice this? You may not be able to change the state of the world, but you can change the state of your heart when you stop seeing them as your enemy. Now, I want to be really clear. Loving your enemy does not mean that you ignore what they've done. I mean, Jesus was there in the very presence of what they had done to him. It doesn't mean you ignore what they may have said or what they may have done. It doesn't mean that you, you minimize or justify how they may have hurt you. It doesn't mean like you actually pretend like the, the hurt that you may feel or the hate that you may have isn't real. What it means, what Jesus is directing you and I to do for now is that all you and I can do maybe for now is just pray for them. Actually, just pray for them. And then you keep praying for them. You keep praying for them. You keep praying for them by name. And I want going to be really clear about this. You're not praying that God would make them pay. I you was know, like, Lord, make them suffer. I call your wrath upon them, Lord not talking about those kind of prayers, right? right, right? We're, not, we're not praying that God would make them see what they've done or that God would make them see things your way or that God would even make them apologize to you or ask for forgiveness. You're not even praying that they would change their ways. You're, see, that's, that's you praying for your will to be done. What Jesus taught us is to pray for God's will to be done. And so when you pray for them, you're praying for God's best for them. You pray God's blessing over them, trusting that he knows what's best for them more than you. You pray that God would release the hold they have on your heart and mind and that the Holy Spirit would actually in time allow you to forgive them and get them off your list. See, herein lies the the, the genius of Jesus because You know what happens the more and more you begin to to, to pray for them, the more you begin to pray for those people that you might consider your enemies. Get this. This is what begins to happen. The, The more you pray for your enemies, the less they stay your enemies. That's what happens. The more you pray for your enemies, the less they stay your enemy in your heart. God does a transformative work. Whether you ever see it in their life or not, you will see it in yours. The more you pray for your enemies, the less they stay your enemies. The more you release them to God, the more it releases the hold that they actually have on you. You pray for them, and then you pray for them, and then you keep praying for them until you genuinely only want God's best for them. Does it go against everything our culture teaches us? Yeah, it does. Is it counterintuitive? Yes, it is. Is it difficult? Yes. Is it demanding? Heck yes. Is it optional? No, not optional if you're a follower of Jesus. Not optional. This isn't like a pick and choose sort of deal. Jesus is saying, this is the way. This is my way to pray for those who've hurt you, to pray for those that you can't stand, to pray for those that you have intense or passionate dislike for, until you have nothing left but love for them. You pray until all you have left is love for them, and I would love to tell—I like, would love to tell you that I am so transformed in Christ <laughs> that I have transcended my enemies list. I would love—I don't think anyone in this room or online believes that for one second, because I'm still really good at making people my enemy. And I can do it with people I've never even met, like people online or people in the news. I just determine that they're my enemy. And they then take up that space in my heart. I can do it with people that I know, people that I even care about. And a little while back, I, I had added, like confession time, I'd added someone to, to my enemies list. Someone who I'd known for a while, someone that I, cons- I considered a friend. But they did some things and they, they said some things about me. They said some things about people I care about, some really, really hurtful things. Some things that honestly are just untrue and they said it to people that I know. They never once said it to me, but they said it about me. And that that was all it took. I was like, oh, okay. That's how it is. Okay. And I did that thing that you do, you know, when someone hurts you, I rallied support. Can you believe what they said? Can you believe what they did? They're like, no, I never even heard it. Well, you're hearing it now. That's what they said. That's what they did. And I'm not gonna go into the specifics of it, but I will tell you, it really hurt. And I was pretty much okay to never see them or never speak to them again. And more importantly, I was uninterested in praying for them. That was kind of way down on my list or even to eventually forgive them. But thankfully, (laughs) thankfully, again, God didn't give up on me. God didn't treat me the way I was treating God them and the Holy Spirit would not leave me alone. And so eventually, every time this person came to my mind and I'd find myself feeling those feelings of hurt, of betrayal, of anger, or even indifference towards them, I just committed to pray for them. And in the beginning, all I could pray was their name. I'm like, you have to sort it out, God. You know what I'm talking about. I'm just going to say their name. And then I began to pray specific prayers over their life. And then I began to pray specific prayers over their family, pray for God's best over their life until eventually I didn't really even think about them all that much anymore. And I didn't really even like want anything from them other than God's best for them. And I was actually able from a a distance in relationship, able to forgive them completely. I actually was able to forget. It took some time, but I forgave them completely. So imagine what it was like when I actually bumped into them in a super random place and there we were face to face with someone who I had once considered my enemy, someone that I'd spent the better part of of a year actually praying for by name. Do you want to know what happened in that moment where we actually bumped into each other? Nothing really. So I mean, I'm sorry. I wasn't it was pretty normal actually. In fact, I don't know, felt compelled, gave them a hug. And we reconnected for a little bit. And all those things that I once imagined saying to them if I ever saw them again, were gone. Yeah. They, they, here's the thing, they didn't even acknowledge what they did in that little interaction we had. They didn't get down on their knees and ask for forgiveness. They didn't need to. I'd already forgiven them because they are not my enemy. They're not my enemy. And whoever it is that happens to be on your list right now, no matter what it is that they've said, no matter what it is that they've done, no matter how hurt you feel, they are actually not your enemy either. They're actually not your enemy. See, Jesus was, was very clear about this too. Jesus taught us and, and told us that there is an enemy of God and because of that, an enemy to you. There is actually an enemy of God and an enemy of you and your thriving in this world. In fact, this is what Jesus told us in, in John ten ten. He said that the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, to take your joy, to take your freedom, to take your fullness. But Jesus said, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. The real enemy actually wants to steal all the good things of God in your life and replace them with bitterness, anger, malice. All those things that Jesus offered to you and me, that enemy wants to distract you and to derail you and to destroy your life by deceiving you into believing that they are your enemy. But I don't want you to miss this. There is an enemy but they're not your enemy. Big difference. There is an enemy of God who wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But that person on your list, those people on your list, they're not actually your enemy. If you're fighting against them, you're fighting the wrong battle, and you'll never win. In fact, every time the enemy's gonna win, every time you believe that they are your enemy. But God wins, and you win, when you pray for your enemies, when you pray for them by name, you pray for them. And that maybe that's all you can say is their name. And then eventually you got a little bit more and a little bit more till you have nothing left but God's love for them. Amen. You keep praying for your enemies until they no longer stay your enemies. You bless them by praying God's best over their lives. And I've been excited to teach this message. It's been brewing me for a minute, but I don't want to say another word about it. I just thought maybe we could take Jesus up on his hot take today and actually do what he invites us to do. And right here, right now, today, pray for those you might consider your enemy. By name, today. So I want you to start thinking, and maybe you got a long database, or maybe it's just one right now that just feels so fresh. They've hurt you so much. You can't believe what they said. You can't believe what they've done. You can't ever imagine having anything but anger, hurt, sadness, malice towards them. I want you to bring their name to your heart right now. And I'm gonna ask you to stand and and we're gonna pray And and Kelly and Allison had us take that posture before. It's a posture of prayer we take around here where we open our hands because that's what we wanna do. I wanna release these enemies, God, because they're not my, there is an enemy. That's not them. I wanna release them. And so I'm just going to kind of pray some phrases and maybe you want to tag along. And and maybe, honestly, maybe all you can do is just say their name in prayer right now. God will know what to do with that prayer. But maybe you're ready to just pray God's blessing on their life. That God will help you see them as he sees them. To love them even, because he loves them. So let's, if it helps to close your eyes and maybe bring that name to mind right now, you can just kind of hop on this prayer with me. And so Jesus, we we name in our heart right now, we name those people, those people groups, those people we may know, those people we have never met that have hurt us, that have done maybe unimaginable things to us, wrong things, maybe even evil things, sinful things. And we don't want to minimize that hurt. We don't want our hearts to be hijacked anymore by hate. And so we just, right now, would you just give us the spirit of conviction and a spirit of boldness to just start praying their name? Even as and even if tears come, we just say their name. And maybe we can say, God, just pray for their well-being. Pray for them to experience your love. Pray for them to know that they're loved. Pray for your blessing over their life for your favor over their life. pray that you would help me release the power I thought I had over them, but in fact, they have over me. Would you help me release it, release it, release it. Holy Spirit, would you make the load lighter right now in our hearts? And God, we thank you that we can pray this prayer because it's not only what Jesus taught us to do. It's not only what Jesus did for us, it's what you've done for us. Even while we were still your enemy, you brought us into relationship with you. You made a way available to you. Help us not to miss that and help us to fight the right battle. Not against them, not against flesh and blood, but against an enemy who actually wants to steal, kill, and destroy and take our joy and our freedom and our peace. That is who we fight against and we do it in the power of your love and your name. So embolden us today, God. As you make the load lighter in our heart, would you make us stronger to walk, God, in your favor, in your presence, in your power, in your peace. And somehow, some way, somewhere, those people that we just pray for, would you wash a wave of love over their hearts right now? Whether we ever see it or hear about it or know about it, that's the battle we wanna fight. For your love to be more real and more known in our lives and in our world, we pray this in your name, amen.